This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, I am joined by longtime television professional and journalist Chris Berg. Chris began his career as a news journalist over three decades ago, and he is now responsible for producing some of the largest live events on national television. In this episode, he uses his experience to share his outlook on rights deals with professional sport leagues, the future of regional sport networks and how local affiliates can compete, and how broadcasters are adjusting in the age of streaming. He also shares some valuable information on how networks determine their advertising rates for large events such as the Super Bowl. I hope you enjoy the show. So we're excited today. We've got Chris Berg, who's the Vice President of Local Content Development for Nextar Media Group. And this is going to be an interesting conversation because we don't really get an opportunity to talk with people who are in the broadcasting side, both who've done it on the talent side and now on the business side. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Excited. I don't get to Northern Indiana much, so uh, it's great to be here. Well, you came on maybe one of the most beautiful days we've had in March, which isn't saying a lot right now when it's cold and rainy. Um, but before we kind of get into what it is, to some of the topics we've we've already kind of outlined before the show, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your career and what you do now. So I started in broadcasting way back in uh, the late 80s, and uh, my first job in television was to be a photographer. Um, I desperately wanted to be a reporter, news reporter. Then that, that's how I kind of evolved into being a reporter at the very first job in a small market. But even before that, I was... I thought sports was going to be my calling. Uh, I was an athlete in high school, playing basketball in high school. Uh, we we did very well, but uh, being five foot five, I wasn't going to be playing any sort of major college basketball. So I thought I'd just uh, move on. So first job in Sherman, Texas as a photographer, reporter, and then next job was Colorado Springs as a reporter. Uh, enjoyed living in Colorado. Uh, then uh, moved to Denver. Uh, as a manager in the newsroom, just basically to make a little more money and uh, be in a bigger market. Uh, did that for a couple of years. And then uh, I was able to elevate my career even further to be an assistant news director and run a newsroom in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Then I was promoted a news director there um, where we uh, had a lot of Lobo coverage. Uh, basketball was a uh, big time for them. Many tournament appearances. Uh, football team wasn't so much uh, of, a, of a draw, but the basketball team really was at that mm -hmm. time. Yeah, Fran Fischel was the coach there at that time. Um, uh, was there for several years, uh, um, and then uh, went to uh, Minneapolis as the news director at the ABC station in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And after that, I was in Dallas as an assistant news director, uh, where we had uh, a lot of coverage down there. Sports, obviously, it's a big sports town. And then moved to uh, Next Star Broadcasting uh, back in 2014, and uh, over. Uh, the first seven years were running markets, uh, their content, their marketing, their uh, their operational uh, well-being and making sure everything was uh, moving along as it should. Mm -hmm. And then the past couple of years, I've been doing uh, political programming uh, for the company that's brought, that's syndicated uh, usually statewide when we do it and then running a couple of New Year's Eve shows. So uh, and then anything else I can come up with that I can sell internally uh, for programming. 
And we were talking before the show and kind of how you started out on the talent side and now mm-hmm. you're kind of more on the business development side. It it did cause me to kind of think, you know, we have some students who are kind of interested in the broadcasting, whether it be in TV or radio. Is your experience pretty, pretty common where you're going to have to kind of start off at the bottom, work your way up? Um, maybe pays not that great. You're working in smaller markets and then eventually, hopefully you get to that point where maybe you're on the desk making a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. My path is, was more common uh, in my era uh, where, because there were, there were a lot of people at the higher levels uh, of, uh, of management and in, and in uh, talent holding down the larger market jobs. So there were, there were a lot of guys in mid management in 1990 who were 55, 60 years old. Uh, today, mid-management in a large market, they're 30 years old okay. or 35 years old. So that the the ability to jump to a much larger market much more quickly than I did is, is absolutely there, especially in certain career paths. Uh, broadcast producing. Um, so when you're 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 basically in charge of one tele one, one newscast, you can jump um, to a large market in the first probably five years of your career. Now that's good and bad. It's good because you can make a little bit more money, a little more quickly in living in a living a bigger market, better quality of life. The bad side is you don't get to make all those mistakes mm. at a at a smaller market where the where the um, the results of your mistakes aren't as uh, punishable at a high level. <laughs> you make a big mistake in, in a Dallas or Chicago and in Indianapolis, you're probably going to lose your job. You make a you make that same mistake in let's say a very small market. You probably not get fired. You probably get written up. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe a week, a couple of days off, but you won't get fired. So having those that ability to make mistakes, learn your craft, um, is it was very valuable to me. And I think that's good information to have again, just for so many students who want to get involved. And you know, we've got it here with the Trine Broadcasting Network where we're doing games. Um, students are doing podcasts. So it feels like there's so many more opportunities for them to build their portfolio now, maybe then, okay, hey, I graduate. I've got to latch on somewhere just to kind of get that start. No, that's wonderful. Absolutely. The, the more reps you get, the better you're going to be. And the fact that you guys have that ability to do that um, is uh, going to be a boon to anyone's career. It's especially for young broadcasters. Mm-hmm. The more you can put yourself in experience to do the job, and then review that experience, have people critique it, fix it, well, fix your mistakes, and then get better is is going to launch your career that much faster. Absolutely. So there are some things we I did want to talk about, especially kind of where you were thinking about your career and where you're at right now. I know we talked a little bit before the show, you're doing a lot of political programming, um, but I think some of those things are the same when you talk about politics or sports or anything Mm -hmm. else where you have to go out you've got to find those shows make your pitch and try to acquire those rights so in something like in sports what does that look like when networks are going out whether dealing with teams or leagues and trying to acquire the rights to broadcast those games so the networks all know when the big contracts expire right so when the nfl contracts up when um nba nhl um when those contracts are up they're ready to jump in if they're if they're interested. The the challenge too is they're very expensive. So when you if you if you're on the outside looking in on from a from a professional sports contract and you would like to acquire them, mm-hmm. the first challenge is most of these contracts have a right to right to match. Okay. So unless there's some sort of poison pill in your offer that they can't 
except they're, they're probably just going to match it or do even better. And because live programming is so um, it, it, it's so valuable today because people tune in for that. So sports is one of those live programmings that you, you don't DVR, you don't delay it. Um, so advertisers love the ability to be able to have their message right there in front of people and know what's going to be there. So um, so acquiring those rights are, is very difficult. And then you probably, if, let's say you have a shot, like the Fox Network did in the early 90s when they uh, were able to secure NFL rights. Mm-hmm. They overpaid, I think it was like double what CBS at the time was paying. And they did that because they knew they had to in order to have CBS go, I'm not going to do this. It's just not worth it. Um, but when it happened, the next time rights came up, CBS overpaid to get back in. And so it, so the couple things are kind of res, residuals of that. You have advertising rates that go through the roof, right? Because these guys have to pay for it. But in a lot of the cases, they're, these uh, these programs are lost leaders. So you got to have them on the air because you want to be able to have people on your channel your network but it doesn't always pay for itself just by the advertising that's that's there so you're going to have to leverage as fox did leverage programming and getting people to watch your other programs while they're watching fox um football so if you remember in the early 90s the fox programming the simpsons uh, uh and several other shows that they just launched had designated slots within the commercial pods to make sure they were promoting that program so the people who are watching NFL football would then stay and watch The Simpsons and other Fox programming or tune in later to watch it as well. So is there a little bit of strategy there in your programming after the game, trying to keep people's eyeballs? Because you see that sometimes with the Super Bowl, okay, we're going to have the premiere of this new show because we already got eyeballs in there. Um, Do companies do that or, or networks do that? Also during the regular season as well, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, football is a great, or Super Bowls were a great example of that, where the networks today put the show that they really want to get eyeballs on to see if it'll take off immediately after the Super Bowl mm-hmm. because it's the largest viewership night uh, of the year. Whoever is carrying the game, and as the game, you know, it rotates between all the networks who are who have NFL rights, so that's what they use it for. Now that was not always the case. So an interesting thing that we uh, I ran into in my career about that is as a local television station and the game would end and there would not be a program afterwards, or maybe it'd just be a 30 minute program, not the 90 minutes they do or an hour they do afterwards. It would usually be 30 minutes or, or less that the game would end. They do the post game stuff. And then you'd be right there to, to do whatever program that you wanted to air or the network was going to air. So the decision for a lot of markets, especially on the, on the uh, Western side of the country is, in Albuquerque, where I was at uh, for one of the Super Bowls, the game got over and we were back into pro, you know, regular pro- programming at approximately 8.30 p.m. because of the time differences. So at 8.30, we had to decide what to do to program through 10 o'clock. The network um, gave us the option basically from 8.30 to 9, do whatever you want, 9 to 10, which 10 o'clock was when our news started. You, you need to run, it was that time, it was NBC programming. So a couple of years earlier when NBC had the game in Albuquerque, the uh, decision was made that they were going to sell that 30 minutes in an, as an infomercial. Okay. Because the infomercial person was going to give us like $50,000 to run 
their 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 thirty minute basically commercial. That's what an infomercial is a thirty minute commercial after the game because they knew that what, what kind of viewership it was going to be. And the local station said, "Holy moly, fifty thousand dollars <laughs> for one thirty minute spot!" And 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 all the salespeople who have a commission interest in that, they're like, "Done, right?" Yeah. And the general manager at the time um, said, "Yeah, sure, go ahead and do that." They had at that point though they had a weak, weaker news director at the time. So when uh, my team got there and the same scenario happened, we said, wait a second, <laughs> hold on. We're the number two news brand in the market. This is the moment in time where we're going to get all these people watching us mm-hmm. who don't normally watch us. Why wouldn't we expose them to our product? Because long term, the news broadcast on that station was going to make millions of dollars more if our ratings went up. So why not look at that as a promotional opportunity um, to pr- to promote what you do? And then you put on a, the best newscast you ever put on. You spend hours and hours and days and days building to make sure you have really top quality programming there. All the main anchors are there, even though it's a Sunday. And you really gussy up that newscast um, in hopes of that it'll have residual effects down the road. Mm-hmm. And the sales guys are like, uh, <laughs> that's $50,000 you're taking off the table for us. And my response was, well, I can get you millions <laughs> if you just let me promote my product in a time frame where I'm going to get people who don't normally watch us. So that's the tug and pull and tug in a local market when these dynamics happen. And maybe I think that's something that's not appreciated as much. It's just all the business aspect on that. I mean, you know, you kind of see the newscaster, you see the shows and you're entertained and everything, but there's so much going on behind the scenes. And, um, you know, as you think about an event like the Super Bowl or, or anything else that you're doing, e- even the political coverage, like how do you as the networks price out that advertising? I'm sure it depends on, on a number of different factors that I think people would kind of be fascinated to hear what that is. It's pretty simple when it comes to sports advertising. It's, it's um, and again, this is television. It's not brain surgeries. <laughs> you know, this is this is um, this is not hard stuff. It's just you, once you learn it, it's pretty simple. So it really starts with like a Super Bowl. It's based on the history. Has it done well? And the answer is yes. It's done well historically, year after year. Um, the next thing is, um, you know, what's the market environment? Are we in a down economy? You know, um, and that has a has an issue uh, can can impact uh, the rates. And then what's what do we project the audience to be based on? You know the recent past, you know, the past couple of years. And you take those factors and go, okay, here's what we've got for it in the past. Here's what we think is going to happen in the future. The economy's good. We're going to raise rates by X amount of percent. And that just, you know, and that um, just depends on all those factors, how much um, more each year they raise the rates by. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you can't just say it's going to be like this one flat rate for all these things. And there are a number of things. Right. But those rates also get adjusted during the process too. Right. So if you, for instance, if uh, you go to market with uh, your avails in the, in the program and you have, let's say you have 20 and all of them are gone in the first 20 minutes, 20 minutes at, you know, at the rate you selected, but you only put, 15 to 20 out there, mm-hmm. those last five, you're going to raise the rate. Yeah. Um, so you go back, you constantly review whether, you know, you priced it correctly. Is the demand higher or lower? And then the other thing happens too. Um, there's diminishing returns at as cl- the closest your goal gets. So if you got a, you got one avail sitting there 
and it's um, you know the day before the game, and you price it at hundred thousand dollars originally, it's just it's going to be zero if you don't cut a deal with somebody to get you know fifty thousand dollars on the on the books. Yeah. So you're constantly inventory managing um, throughout the process. So for big events like that. You know, I know, you know, the, the national network, let's say NBC, whatever, they're going to have their so many slotted commercials like on average or just kind of roundabout. Like how many do they give the local affiliates? Does it just depend? It's you know, it's it's diminished okay. over the years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's about 10 ish right okay. now, maybe a little bit less. Um, and, and then the big question is, too, we talked about the the infomercial after the game um, and the big audience leading in. What about during the game with with those avails? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't you want to promote the things that are your local content that would where you don't get in front of a lot of these people throughout the year, but you're going to get in front of them now? Yeah. Will that be a better way to use that time, or is it better to have more money in the coffers? And that's the constant struggle in a, at a television station, a local television station, and quite frankly, the networks they have the same issues. They want to sure. promote their new content, not only after the game, if they have the game, but during the game as well. And so they're getting, you know, five, seven million dollars for a for a spot. <laughs> they really want to give up that moment in time to promote the next voice, you know, uh, uh, competition. It's just fascinating as you start to kind of dig into all of this stuff, like how all this stuff works together. And, you know, kind of change gears a little bit. You know, I know for the NFL, a lot of that it's it's national. You know, you've got your your NBCs and Fox and CBS and, and everything in between ESPN. You don't see a lot of regional programming in the NFL if there's any. Um, baseball, basketball, hockey, a little bit different. If you think about Yes Network or Marquee with the Cubs or things like that, um, we're seeing some issues like with Valley Sports are kind of going under or having some really really uh, liquidity issues. With, with those regional sport networks, I know that income is really important to the teams, but why are they struggling so much right now? I, I feel for Sinclair, who owns Bally's and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, in that play, because they made that purchase right before COVID. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it was blowing and going. It was it was a good time to get into that business. And they and they bought on the high end. Right. Um, so Fox Sports got out of that business. Um, and then Bally's jumped in. So they paid a premium and then COVID hit. So all the professional sports schedules were all messed up, right? We had summer basketball playoffs and hockey playoffs and, and, it, and what, you know, whether we were going to have a season or not. And so uh, they just, you know, they lost their shirt through, through the process because you know, advertisers couldn't guarantee, you know, couldn't be guaranteed when games were going to be. Mm-hmm. So they went and found other avenues uh, to, to spend their money. And let's not forget during that time frame too, there wasn't a lot of money to, that was going around being spent on advertising because advertisers were nervous yeah. about whether, you know, where this is all was going. So that was just a perfect storm that hit them the first couple of years of, of their business. So when all that happened, and then on top of more cord cutting. So people started to watch more HBO Max and more Netflix. And and so because they couldn't they didn't know if the game was going to be on or not. Right. So they yeah. did all these other things and they and so they cut the cable cord and you had to you had to figure out how those games were going to be on television. If you're a, um, a professional sports franchise. Right. So they started looking around going, this isn't good for us. You know, we thought the contract was good because they paid us a lot of money, mm-hmm. but right now it's not good because we're not getting all the eyeballs on us 
um, any any further, and that's that's hurting our brand. So it's almost it's back to the future again when it comes to local broadcasters and regional sports. So if you know um, if you remember, uh, you know a lot of local broadcasters had 10, 20, 30 games mm -hmm. um, uh, on, you know, kind of regular over-the-air television in the 80s. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we had the, you know, WGN and the Cubs, but in, in Wisconsin, we had a lot of Brewer games on, and Texas had a lot of Rangers games on, in Minnesota, um, so on and so forth, on over-the-air television. So uh, today now, that's happening again, uh, because the professional teams are going, I think I can get a better deal so I can market my franchise better and I can get more people watching uh, over their television. And our great example and internally in our company are the, the LA Clippers at a deal we cut uh, going into last NBA season last fall with uh, Steve Ballmer and that team out there. Okay. Um, we've got a station in LA, it's KTLA, mm -hmm. um, and they did an over-the-air deal to do approximately 15 or 20 Clipper games. And um, the results were were through the roof. Um, significantly more viewership. And the viewership um, wasn't all that redundant either because they got so many more new viewers because it's easier to access over-the-air television because all you need is rabbit ears. Yeah. You know, you don't, you're not paying for anything. So you, the cord cutters that are out there can just go right there on their rabbit ears and get, it, get us and get a Clipper game. So uh, the results of that um, partnership showed that over-the-air broadcasters can really outperform RSNs uh, when it comes to getting local uh, viewers, getting more local viewers, and getting more local viewers in the demographics that the uh, professional teams are looking for. So it's a really an exciting time for our local broadcasters uh, sure. to be part of that. So if you had to... Look into your crystal ball going forward, because I think the one thing that's that's interesting that might be competing with that you're seeing like Amazon starting to buy rights to football games, even like YouTube is in it, and I think Apple TV with with Major League Baseball. Does that cause con some concern? Because we're looking at younger generations, millennial Gen Z, they're just not getting cable subscriptions and picking up um, TV even over you know rabbit ears like they used to. Uh, of course. I mean, any, you know, any sort of, you know, competition, um, you know, makes it a little more difficult to secure uh, th those opportunities. I think really it's going to come down to access. You know, mm -hmm. are are you willing to pay Apple TV a fee to watch these games mm -hmm. or are you willing to, um, uh, you know, is it, is it better for you to watch it over the air for free? And are the professional teams going to look at the go? Is that upfront money better uh, for me? In some some cases, it will be. Or is it better for me to have television uh, with a broader reach, more consistent reach uh, for my for my product? Is it better for me in the long term? You know, and and I don't know what the, the finances if they, they, those would be much different. But um, the, it's really again me a reach argument more than anything else. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to say your next star strategy, but, you know, just kind of overall in your industry, how are media companies adjusting to that rise of, of over the top uh, of streaming? As opposed to, you know, like traditional cable, satellite, even even digital. 
you know, I think part of that answer is ATSC 3.0, which, you know, is a base, basically gets our our product out there on your cell phones and and much more accessible mm. from just a um uh a computer or a um uh a television set. Like that's part of it. The other um the other thing I think it it, it makes a difference for um these challenges on the streaming side is is is, is all back to that accessibility stuff. The more the more that you are available to people and easier and then cheaper, the better the sell is to uh to a professional sports franchise. Like we're here, we're we 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 face no um roadblocks for the for the viewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you watch it on um KTLA in, in Los Angeles, the Clippers game. So and that's and that's really what it comes down to. Well, I think it's just been interesting now that you know, um, we talk about rabbit ears, but now everything's gone digital. Uh-huh. It's actually the the quality that you get through the programming with the, with how they've gone with the digital intent. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. And you get, you know, more than just like your three or four that I got growing up yeah. just with a rabbit. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's, there's a ton of programming out there on your, on your digital channels. And, uh, you know, with, if, if you're someone who wants to, you know, use your entertainment dollars a little bit differently, you can spend 50 bucks on a, on the uh, digital tuner and, mm-hmm. and then at one time and then, you know, augment that with a couple of uh, Netflix and HBOs and, uh, and maybe a Roku and call it a day. I, and that's what my wife and I did. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever look back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, um, it's been great. It saves a ton of money <laughs> um, as opposed to our cable subscription. Um, so, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what advice would you give to students who'd want to break in to the industry? You know, and if you want to separate it by, you know, the talent side or more kind of the, the production and, and business side, you could do that. From a, from a talent side, I think, I think the number one thing you got to remember is that it's about what you do for the viewer. You know, everyone wants to be the beloved television personality. Mm-hmm. Those are rare. They, those happen organically because of who you are and how much you care about the viewer that's watching you and how much they recognize that. So the the Al Rokers of the world um, is is a a huge network personality right now because he's earned it because he's earned the trust of the viewer over the years and he's a likable personality and they believe him and uh uh and that's what you know from a broadcasting standpoint we i believe we should aspire to the 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 broadcasters that think that they're the story that they're the smartest person in the room Mm -hmm. are the ones that um may create some of the more controversial moments on, in broadcasting, but do they have long-lasting impact? Do they have an impact on the viewer and uh, viewers' lives and making it better because they can they brought them something that you know had value to them? So bringing that kind of value, I think, from on the talent side is, is critical. Um, and on the on the behind the scenes stuff is just knowing where you get your information and finding that foundation where you are comfortable with the facts, you know, are the facts as someone has painted them for you or are they, have you found them to be absolutely true? And in some cases it's, 
is one of the other. <laughs> um, and, and in finding your true north is really important in that process. You know, who do you believe? Why do you believe them? Have they earned your trust? And that that that, that foundational information then can be uh, something you build on to do your own reporting, do your own context and delivery uh, and analysis. And I'm sure you're probably dealing with kind of compelling but different interests on both sides, whether it be on the business side or, you know, as we were kind of talking, you know, sometimes like the salespeople want one thing because obviously, you know, they're kind of worried about their paycheck and commission. But boy, if we just kind of hold on and think long term, it's going to be even better. Right. And so kind of trying to be able to handle that, I would imagine it's kind of a big deal, too. That's, you know, that's just about, you know, working with people. And mm-hmm. and not against them, you know. There, I'm I am I come from the content background, so I always think the content is will, will win out, and I and I do believe that. I mean, yeah. without the content, you, the, what do you have? You know, you, you people don't tune in for an advertisement. Typically, they right. tune in for the content, and the advertisement is there as part of that content. Um, so, uh, but you know, I've 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 had to kind of take my lumps over the years to say, yeah, I mean, there's, there are going to be times when the sales guys are right for the health and well-being of what we're doing. And we just say, we're just going to, okay, we're going to do that. Um, and as long as it doesn't hurt the credibility of the product, uh, let, let's go ahead and make that happen. And I imagine that's kind of got to be first and fore- forefront on what you're doing. It's the credibility and, and the quality that you're putting out. Right. If yeah. the, the, the quality and credibility are the, 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 the the two most important things for any content you put out. And um, so for instance, one of the things that we do um, as a sponsorship opportunity that not many people do, uh, but but it doesn't hurt the quality and credibility of the product is we, we have um, programs throughout our company that are focused on the local NFL teams. Mm-hmm. So in Indiana, um, uh, the next star stations run something called the blue zone. Um, and the blue zone um, here and uh, in Texas, we call it the Silver Star Nation, is, is really coverage of the local NFL team. And so when we say we're going to do coverage of the Indianapolis Colts in our Fort Wayne station, you know, it'll have the blue zone graphic will come up. And, you know, our blue zone report tonight is about, you know, uh, Peyton Manning's uh, records are about to be broken. And uh we do a quick little story on it. And the blue zone was brought to you by Jim's plumbing. Now did Jim's plumbing have any sort of impact on the content of that report? No. Am I ever going to do an investigative report about blue zone coverage and Jim's plumbing and the, you know, him, him impacting the content of, of the blue zone report? No. Right. Um, so there's no real conflict of interest mm-hmm. and it doesn't hurt the quality. So why wouldn't we let, uh, let him associate himself with a brand like the like uh, the Blue Zone and the Colts coverage? Because that's beneficial to him. So we're one of the only uh, companies in the country that crafts sports coverage, especially to be sponsor friendly. You're seeing that a lot, too, with, um, you know, the ESPN game days, you know, you, you pop up when they're um, out doing uh, their, their remotes, uh, it's Home Depot. Signs are everywhere, right? Is, is that diminish their credibility? No, no. Are they, is it hard to miss that they're a sponsor? Nope, it's not, uh, but good for both of them. 
I'm thrilled you brought up Home Depot and, um, and ESPN game day because we talk about that in the class that we're about to go up to. So um, that's a perfect example. It means I'm on the right track. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, really enjoyed having you on. Thanks so much for talking with us today and uh, giving us a little bit more background about what you do with Next Star. Happy to do it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our social media accounts for our next guest on April 13th. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also, be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Trine CSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.